2: We hope you've been
3: enjoying the History Extra podcast and all it has to offer. Summer is the perfect time to delve deeper into the things you love. So subscribe to BBC History Magazine for just £24.99 every six issues, saving 30% on the shop price. Plus, you will receive a book of your choice worth up to £30. Choose from Russia, Revolution and Civil War, 1917-1921 by Anthony Beaver, In Search of the Dark Ages by Michael Wood, signed edition, In Search of Mary Seacole, The Making of a Cultural Icon by Helen Rappaport, signed edition, or Persians, The Age of the Great Kings by Professor Lloyd Llewellyn-Jones. To take advantage of this offer and for more information, visit www.buysubscriptions.com forward slash summerreads2022. Offer ends on the 5th of August, 2022. Offer only available to UK residents. Please visit website for terms and conditions.
0: Welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Reveal. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. 2022 is the History Extra podcast's 15th birthday. So to mark 15 years of fascinating historical conversations, we've asked 15 historians to nominate a figure from history who they think deserves their 15 minutes of fame. Some are inspiring people who deserve more airtime today. Others are those whose significance in history has been overlooked. And some simply led fascinating and unexpected lives. Today's expert guest is Professor Jerry Broughton, who's nominated the geologist and ocean cartographer Mary Tharp. Dave Musgrove spoke to Jerry to find out more.
4: Jerry, thank you so much for joining us on our 15 Minutes of Fame uh, podcast series. Really good to have you here. How are you doing?
5: I'm good. Thank you for having me. Okay, it's
4: a pleasure to speak to you again. So um, the person you've chosen uh, to talk to us about is Marie who who is uh, uh, a very important female mapmaker from the 20th century. Our audience may not have heard of her. She, you know, she does have a certain degree of fame um, in, in certain circles, I think. But um, could you just sort of briefly give us the key details of Marie Tharp's life story.
5: Marie Tharp is an extraordinary woman. She was uh, American. She was born in Michigan in 1920. She died in 2006. Um, And for me, she's probably the most important uh, woman working in mapmaking in the 20th century and has now been recognised as such. But in her lifetime, was almost completely marginalised. She worked at Columbia University working on oceanic soundings to prove she effectively was the person who proved Continental drift and tectonic plate shift. So she said that she discovered the biggest thing in the world, which indeed it was, which was this idea that there was really uh, this like a zipper uh, of tectonic plate shift that ran around the globe. And Marie Tharp was responsible for mapping it in the mid to late 20th century, an extraordinary achievement against all odds, a woman working in an almost exclusively male-dominated field of geology and also map making. Extraordinary woman, extraordinary achievement. And I think now must be celebrated as one of the 20th centuries, if not history's, one of history's greatest mapmakers. Great. How did, so how did she get into,
4: into this profession then? So um, was her career sort of born out of the Second World War in some way?
5: To some extent, yeah, it's a really interesting story about how war, you know, enables people who are often marginalised from these kind of traditionally male-dominated fields. So she grew up, her father was a, a surveyor, and I think that she learned some of those mapping skills from him. She then worked, interestingly, across art. She did a degree in English and then worked in geology um, and ended up um, just after the Second World War because of what happened with Pearl Harbour, women um, coming into male-dominated industries, and she started working in the petroleum industry. And again, the the sort of misogyny that you get around this is extraordinary, that she was referred to as a petroleum girl um, working uh, in geological analysis. She then you know, was clearly incredibly brilliant, very bored by it, and so ended up um, in the late 40s um, working at Columbia University um, at one of its uh, very famous earth observatories called the Lamont-Doherty Earth Observatory. Um, She gets there in 1948 and she starts working with a man called Bruce Heason and Bruce Heason is working on uh, recording sonar uh, data from US military ships in the Atlantic, starting out actually trying to work out where wrecks were from the Second World War uh, for the US Navy to recover and, and also just to sort of chart where they were. But the data that starts coming back that Heesen's working on, going out on these boats using very early sonar to record the uh, surface of the uh, of, of the Earth's ocean bed, this data starts coming back, and Tharp is the person who's crunching the data. And from the late 40s into the early 50s, Tharp starts to see what she what she understands is tectonic plate shift. So the fact that actually the continents um, and the ocean floor is ceaselessly moving along these ridges um, and that really the earth is is completely unstable. So Tharp starts to make this argument, which is complete heresy, absolute heresy. Um, and of course, all the male dominated uh, figures in geology were rather wonderfully what's called fixists. They don't believe in tectonic plate shifts. They believe that the the surface of of the earth is completely fixed, Um, whereas Tharp is labelled not only a a sort of purveying girl talk, um, is also seen as a drifter. So this wonderful language of, of a woman who's seen as a drifter making this heretical argument, which she starts to map in these extraordinary maps of the oceans.
4: Am I right in thinking that um, she wasn't sort of allowed to join these ocean voyages because of the misogyny, or or did I misread that somewhere?
5: Absolutely. So it's not until the very late 60s that she's allowed on the boats, because she's now effectively leading uh, the crunching of this extraordinary data. Uh, Bruce Heason, uh, her collaborator, is going out on the boats. Um, The guy who runs the observatory, a man called Doc Ewing, also a fixist, is absolutely horrified, says that, you know, women on board ship will bring bad luck. I mean, it's completely medieval. Um, she's banned and she remains in the observatory until the late 60s, just working on this data and starting to compile these extraordinary maps. Eventually she does get on the boats because it's what she wants to do to be right at the, the heart of the data capture. Um, but no, the misogyny uh, is is extraordinary that she has to sort of very patiently push through. There's a point where she starts making the maps, he's brings the data back she starts creating these maps initially of the mid-atlantic uh, ridge so seeing this uh these plate shifts in the atlantic she starts mapping it he's and refuses to believe it initially and he actually there are stories about how he actually takes an eraser and he literally erases her work so that she, you know she's erased from being on the boats her own maps are actually erased in front of her eyes and she just starts them again and gradually she starts to convince Heisen about tectonic plate shift. Quite extraordinary. Making these uh, amazing maps, which she calls physiographic maps. These very precise scientific maps of the ocean floor, which start appearing from the late 1950s. <laughs>
0: to come on the History Extra podcast.
5: There is an acknowledgement, I think, as you were saying, um, within the field, but I think more broadly, she doesn't have the public recognition still that I think that she deserves for, as she puts it, finding the biggest thing in the world.
2: We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments, And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelphelp.com slash history extra.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, Need to hire? You need indeed
4: As a female in this male dominated profession, what does she do to sort of prove herself?
5: Well, I think she just patiently chips away at it. So the remaining uh, letters and correspondence and interviews that we have with her is that she just patiently carries on doing the work. She keeps mapping the ocean floor. She keeps. Proving irrefutably that there is tectonic plate shift, um, and just keeps making the maps, keeps working on Heesen, gradually um, Heesen comes round, accepts the view of tectonic plate shift and Continental Drift. Um, and from the late 50s into the early 60s, uh, they start publishing maps. But again, the maps are published under Bruce Heason's name. It's it's just such classic misogyny you know, in the field of science. So she's literally erased. Um, and it's not until the very late 60s into the early 70s that her name starts to appear on the map. So she just plugs away patiently. The relationship with Heason is very interesting because it's clearly a sort of rather... Uh, tempestuous platonic love affair they work together consistently they row over tectonic plate shifts there's pictures of them sort of rowing people say they're there in the observatory and they can hear them screaming at each other (laughs) about uh, the data and how to interpret it Um, and this really leads to them working on the culmination really of this whole project and THARP's work which is an entire world map of the ocean floors, uh, which once hezen accepts that there is uh, trans- that there is continental drift, they then start working on this amazing world map, uh, which appears in 1977. And there's an interesting story about what happens to that.
4: Come back to that in just a second. I was just wondering about these these maps. Um, did we know anything at all about the ocean floor before um, FARP started started work on the maps? Did we did we have any inkling about what the what the sub uh, sub suboceanic surface was like?
5: There's a vague inkling I mean, really back into the 16th century, there's an understanding that, you know, if you look at the continents um, and almost that they're like a jigsaw puzzle, have they at some point pulled apart? Could you put them back together? Has there been a form of sort of drift or movement across the ocean floors? Um, So, really back to the 16th century, Flemish mapmaker Abraham Ortelius speculates that this may be the case. But of course, one of the problems is we've never had uh, the ability to carefully map the ocean floor. So we now have more data of mapping uh, the, the dry ocean floors in Mars than we do of our own ocean floors. It's still one of the last great unmapped areas and still we don't have enough data, bathymetric data, on that ocean floor obviously because of the challenges involved so it's not really until those sonar readings start to come through pretty much as a result they developed obviously during the second world war the technology develops and that's what tharp exploits but it's also how she exploits it and starts to make these maps to understand and visualize tectonic plate shift for a wider audience so it's really her work that Really from within 20 or 30 years, it's the most extraordinary thing from something that's seen as absolute scientific orthodoxy that the uh, that the ocean floors are fixed to Tharp's work over 25, 30 years changes it from absolute heresy to absolute scientific acceptance. Now, that's a phenomenal achievement. It really is. No, it's incredible
4: it's, am i right thinking that the actual the theory wasn't hers? so that was something that was promulgated um sort of early 20th century is that correct
5: that's correct yes but it's um so again it's it's seen as really an outlying argument uh, that there is this way in which the ocean floors are moving apart what you've actually got is volcanic seams so you've got the, the earth's crust you know moving apart um creating underwater volcanoes and it's only really thought when she starts to see the data coming back, the sonar readings, which start to clarify and understand that actually this is not just some rather eccentric argument from the mid-20th century speculation about the ocean floor but there's actually hard data to prove it so it's really it, it, it's she that comes along and says you know this is clearly what's going on and we can make the maps to prove it and she does it by developing a very specific method of mapping which really shows the ocean floors almost in three dimensions and i think it's interesting because not only is somebody who knows how to use the scientific data she also knows how to use artistic methods so she employs. Um, a Swiss-German um, alpine mapmaker when they are creating this, the world map in 1977, who creates what it looks a bit like, if you imagine looking at a baseball and you see the seam on the baseball, that's almost what you're seeing being traced across the surface of the earth, right down the, um, the, the Atlantic, across into the Indian Ocean, then round into the Pacific. It looks like a sort of baseball seam. And what Tharp understands is if you can map that, but also show it looking almost as though it's three-dimensional. You look at the world map from 1977, and it seems to be three-dimensional. And that's just a a sleight of hand by the artist who she employs to make the map. Um, And that just absolutely seals the argument. And people see it and go, yeah, of course. And now we all accept it as absolute truth. But we wouldn't have done without Mary Tharp.
4: Okay. So she, she would be a, a data visualize, ex, uh, visualization expert in, uh, in modern parlance, I guess.
5: Yes, she would, and I mean that's what's really clever and interesting about people who use maps. You know, that it's that there are both scientific and artistic dimensions to a map. Your map is only as good as its, you know, its impact on an audience, and that's what Tharp understood. And I think that goes back to her training um, uh, in in her earlier years, both within the arts and within the sciences. And she understands that working in this male dominated field, if she wants to get the argument across, you need something that has a massive, massive visual impact. So, yeah, data visualization is a much what she's about as crunching the data of the sonar readings that are coming back from the boats.
4: Cool. So, um, so this world map then in the 1970s is that is that the thing that makes her name? You were saying that there's a good story there.
5: It really cements the argument about tectonic uh, plate shift and uh, and the way in which we can see what our planet looks like and how it's still moving. And the ocean floors are so important for that. What happens is that she and he's and by the mid to late 70s have mapped all the different ocean floors. They put it together in one map Um, in 1977. um, It's called the World Ocean Floor Map. Um, It's just about to be published. She's working out of Colombia. He's and he's actually on a submarine um, following sonar readings, and he has a heart attack. So it's a sort of tragic story that he never sees the map published. Um, It is published in 1977. Uh, The National Geographic uh, sponsor it. Again, it's called the Heisen Tharp map. I think it now should be called the Murray Tharp map of the ocean floor. Um, and when it's released by National Geographic, it has a massive impact. And it, and it really is the culmination of the work that they do together. Tharp carries on working at Columbia until 1983. Towards the latter stages uh, of her career and subsequent to retirement, she starts to get the credit that she deserves. The US Library of Congress recognises her. Uh, she's given a medal for geographical and geographic services um, to the field. So really towards the end of her life and when she retires um, and she she carries on working um, after she retires. There is an acknowledgement, I think as you were saying, um, within the field, but I think more broadly she doesn't have the public recognition still that I think that she deserves. For as she puts it, finding the biggest thing in the world, which is this big zipper that runs right around the earth. Um, and still of course is now so vital for us in terms of understanding how important the ocean is in terms of environmental politics uh, today now. So she She's more important than ever, I think.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like she's, I mean, an amazing story. And she did receive some credit to her during her life. But it, um, as you said, it, it would be good if she was more widely known. So to finish up... Do you want to just uh, sort of summarize for us why you think uh, Marie Tharp deserves her 50 minutes of fame today?
5: I think Marie Tharp deserves her 50 minutes of fame because she um, works tirelessly with absolute moral scrupulousness about just a belief in the righteousness of compiling scientific data to prove a case and she does that she doesn't really complain she works tirelessly she takes all the hits from the misogyny that she's working through and with and the achievement is absolutely profound she's not in it for her own self-aggrandizement she's in it for an understanding of a profound sense of what our planet looks like that had been completely ignored and misunderstood and it's really through her ability to bring art and science together in a male-dominated world to change how that world looks and I can't think of anything that's more significant and important for that to give somebody who didn't have that fame within their lifetime to now give her that 50 minutes of fame.
0: That was Professor Jerry Broughton speaking to Dave Musgrove. Jerry's an expert in the history of mapmaking and Professor of Renaissance Studies at Queen Mary, University of London. His books include A History of the World in 12 Maps. If you're enjoying this series and would like early access to more episodes to hear more historians nominating people who deserve their 15 minutes of fame, go to historyextra.com forward slash 15 minutes. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Daniel Kramer Arden.